morning. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1 today, if you want to start flipping over there in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 1. My name is Ronnie, if I haven't met you yet or if you're new. So I'm, I'm one of the pastors for the church, and then my specific job roles, I get to work with our, our uh, college students in a ministry called Salt Company, which is going to be kicking off here in a couple weeks. So you guys can be, be praying. We're actually going to get there in this series of talking even more specifically about why our heart is so much for the campus. Um, but, but Amelie had kind of mentioned this, and maybe you saw this on your way in. We're in the middle of this exciting time for our church where the hand of God has just been on us. And Rob and I kind of use the metaphor of like, it's like he's driving the car and we're just in the passenger seat. And honestly, these last couple of months, it's felt like he just kind of put his foot on the gas and asked us to stay, stay in there and look around at what he's doing and participate in it. And basically what has happened is there's become this opportunity for us to purchase a permanent building here in Madison. So if you're new, that's like might be news to you. If you're not, we've been talking about it for a little while. And with that opportunity, it's like God is driving it, but he's asked us to participate. And so we've called that whole idea the forward campaign where we're trying to raise $300,000 by October 1st basically to help us, you know, like put a down payment on this new house, this new home for the Doxa family. And so I've just got a little bit of a, an update for you as to where we're at with that. So if our goal was, was 300,000, now I haven't taken a math class since high school, but the math is very simple for me because as of right now, we're at about that $200,000 mark. So you guys, could, you guys could clap for that. So I'm thinking, you know, you remove the zeros and that's, that's two thirds, right? Two thirds of the way there. And it's, it's, it honestly is just crazy. So kind of the way that we're even calculating that is there's a, there's a way that you can go on the website, docsaforward.com, and you can pledge, like, this is what I'm committing to give. And it's by October 1st, or if you're, if you're in a spot where you're like, I could actually give a little bit more if, if I had some more time, there's an option to indicate, like, by December 31st, this is how much I will give. So we've kind of calculated pledges plus actual gifts that have come in. And so praise God for, for what he's doing with that. And if you're just in a spot here where... You know, like you're, you're not a guest, like Doxa is your church family and you haven't yet pledged or given, man, what a great time to just hop on board. Cause like, I mean, it looks like this is going to happen and I want you guys to get to be a part of that. And so I hope that you just kind of feel the momentum to, to actually like prayerfully consider and, and jump in with pledging. So you can do all that through the website and there's more information out there on the table. So praise God for that. And it's a, a cool thing that we're in this series right now. And so the series that we're walking through is called 16 Words, Why We Exist. And, and it's the 16 words of really our mission statement as a church, like why we're here. We're in week three. And the last couple of weeks, we really talked about the what. Like, what is it that exactly that we're doing? And we're trying to get focused on this so that we keep the main thing, the main thing, even as we have this incredible opportunity to have a permanent building here in Madison. And so the what was we're sharing the gospel and we're sharing our lives. And they, they were both great messages that I, I told Rob this. I think he really captured the heart of really what God has already been doing here. Like we set out to share the gospel in our lives and it's begun to happen. But it was also just so like aspirational of like this, this is who we could become. And so I would encourage you to go back to the website and catch up on those if you haven't. That was the what. Today we're making a transition for the next three weeks into the why. Okay, so there's what we're doing, and then it's sharing the gospel in our lives, and then just a little three-letter word, for. What is this all for? What are we, what are we doing this for? So, like, production team, setup team, you got here at 6 a.m. this morning, like, what did you do it for? I'm sure it wasn't the, the cheap donuts that Jesse buys at Quick Trip that you guys eat at 7 in the morning, and all the sugar, like, sticks to the back of your throat. No, right? Like, that's a nice little consolation, but that's not what's getting you out of bed in the morning, 
What are, we, what are we doing this for? Why? Why are we sharing the gospel in our lives? Why do we exist? What is our ultimate aim? What is our ultimate ambition? And really, the dividing line here in my heart and the dividing line in our church is, is this about us or is this about God? What are we doing this for? Is it for us or is it for God? And so, you know, the, the why question, it gets to just like the tone and the vibe, the, the motivation you can see what we're doing, but when you walk into our community, you can feel really like why we're doing what we're doing. When people walk into our church, when we, when we walk around this place, do, it does the subtle tone and vibe, is it, aren't we okay? We're, we're okay, right? Like new guest walks in, like this is, this, this is good. This is like, aren't, aren't we great? That would be this being for us. The motivation that we want to get to in our, in our mission statement is we want this to be for God. We want the subtle tone to be, isn't God great? For the glory of God is the way that we put it. Sharing the gospel and our lives for the glory of God and the good of Madison. And this is so important, guys, that we get this right and that we, we do the deep hard work in our hearts to get this right. Because it is just, it is so easy and so just like, just gross and disgusting to have that, that other motivation of like, but, but aren't, we, aren't we great? I mean, I mean, aren't we at least, at least okay? It's like, hey, forward campaign. We need to, we need to buy this building. Like, Doxa, would you, would you generously and sacrificially give of your money so you can buy this building so that I, as one of your pastors, can feel okay about myself? How terrible, how, ugh, like, how nasty of a, no one would be motivated to give if that was ultimately what it was about. So I, I can have a good reputation in our community as someone who maybe knows what they're doing. No, Th- this building as just the most recent example, needs to be not about us, not about us looking good, not about us subtly saying, aren't we great to our community, but about saying, how great is God? It has to be for the glory of God. And thankfully, the Apostle Paul, he was a man that just got this. And so in our First Thessalonians text that we had been looking at, this just oozes off of the page. As he talks about sharing the gospel in his life, he does it with this high ambition for the glory of God and then this deep love for the good of people. And so that's what we're going to look at in the next two weeks after today. For the glory of God today and then the good of Madison. Listen to Paul in Ephesians chapter 3. It's going to come up on the screen as he just got, kind of gives us a way better, way more energizing vision for what our church needs to be about. Okay, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, so, so if Paul was the very least... I don't even know what that makes us. Paul's giving a right estimation of himself. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Unsearchable means what? You can't search it. It's endless. He is the least of all the saints, which makes us even less, but he was given this incredible task to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring the light for everyone. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages and God who created all things? What bigger vision for your life could you have than that? And here's why. Here's the reason. Here's the why. Here's why Paul is preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ, sharing the gospel's life. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. So Paul, he gives the Ephesian church this vision that like, you know what the church is ultimately about? 
the church has been set up by God, created by God, human beings participating at preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ, sharing the gospel in our lives, ultimately so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known throughout the whole universe. The Bible's clear in other places that, that both angels and, and demons, they, they look at the church and the demons shudder and the angels are just filled with wonder at what God has done. And that's the ultimate purpose of the church. It's for the glory of God. And at the very end here, he says it's, it's, it's about our glory, but our glory is to be caught up in his glory. We find our glory and our significance as individuals and as a church as we pursue a higher glory than ourselves. So let's, let's just resolve together right now before we get this building to make the name doxa, which actually means glory, if that's, that's some new information to you maybe. It's the, the Greek word in the New Testament for glory. Let's make sure that doxa actually means God's glory, not ours. You know, that 10 years from now, 20 years from now, we won't look back and be like, you know what we actually really meant by that was we really meant our glory. It was about us. This message is about resolving together right now to make our church about the glory of God. And the question is just how? How do we do that? What does it look like? How can we move forward? How can we be captivated by the same vision that Paul was captivated by? And that's why we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1. This is just one of those great places in the Bible where Paul basically just goes on a rant about the glory of God. And what he's going to basically do for us that's going to give us a path forward is he's going to show us what God's role in that is how he makes the church about his glory, and then how we can actually lean in and participate in that. So let's start in Ephesians chapter one, starting in, in, in verse three. And before we read it, like before we can actually lean in to, to being about the glory of God, we actually need to just sit back. And so you can even, if you wanna do that, just like sit back and, and look at what we're about to see here, how God has taken the first step in making the church about his glory. This section of the Bible, it's almost like a, like a spectacular coral reef. If any of you guys have ever been snorkeling in somewhere tropical before where you're, you're going over it and, and a coral reef, like each, or each uh, individual facet of the reef is glorious and has like amazing things about it. But another way to look at the glory of it is to see just the overall shape of, of how everything fits together. This passage is, is like that and our heads will explode and we will run out of time if we go too deep and like look at each like individual little part. And so don't let me do that. If I start doing that, somebody just like, like throw up your hands. My goal here is just kind of swim over it with you and point out some things. And I want to show you and, and see just the overall shape of how the church, us sitting here right now, were created for the glory of God. Okay, so let's get going. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Okay, pause. The contrast here, the glory here is gonna be between who God is and who we are. So when he says us, he's talking about sinful, rebellious, cursed, us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us, small, finite, weak, us, before the foundation of the world, that we, dirty, impure, guilty, we should be holy and blameless before him. Him, perfect, spotless, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-pure him. We're going to stand blameless before God one day because of what he's done. 
This is how, look at this. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glory and glorious grace. So, that, so there it is. There's the first kind of spike up to see the shape of this. As Paul is unpacking what it means for us to be saved, for us to be blessed and adopted. And for, for those of us where if you're really in touch with yourself, you know how sinful you are. For you to, to be made spotless and clean before God, here's, here's the tune that all that is, is being played to, to the praise of his glorious grace. So we are blessed, but God is glorified. God is shown to be great, and saving us. Let's keep going. With which we, he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we, we who have been enslaved or sin our whole lives, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Us. We who our whole lives have deserved nothing but condemnation, who have done nothing but rebel, we should be drowning in our sins, drowning in condemnation. But do you see what he's done? God has flipped the script and said, I'm gonna actually spoil you and drown you in my grace, us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Did you catch that last part? So let's play that, that uh, two truths and a lie game right now, okay? So two truths and a lie, the way, the way it works is I'm gonna give you guys two things that are true about me and one thing that's a lie. So number one, I'm from Michigan. Number two, I love cats. Number three, the God who created the universe, all-knowing, all-powerful, brilliant, the text says he mustered up, like his, his, his best idea, he mustered up all his wisdom and insight, which is endless, and his great idea that he decided was to entrust to me the mystery of his will and the eternal purposes of the universe that he set forth in Christ. And get this, one day when, when that all happens, when Jesus unites heaven and earth and like all of humanity is standing there either with God or against God, I, who I'm from Michigan and I like cats, love, love them, am gonna stand there and I'm gonna be like, I, I called it. I knew that this was going to happen. Yeah, yeah, God, you know, Ronnie from Michigan who loves cats, I, I was endowed with all the wisdom and insight and the fullness of God. Like I am an insider on the greatest things that are happening in the universe. I know the plans of God because he thought it was a good idea to tell me. So which one of those is the lie? Cats. cats. Clearly the cats. <laughs> so let's keep going. Verse 11, in him... We have this inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So the thing I was talking about, the coral reef, like, like all of these, we, we could go down and spend years here, but I just want you to see that if you walked in here today and you thought for one second that life was ultimately about you earning your place with God one day, read that verse again. Read that verse again. In him we have an inheritance, having been pre-tested, predetermined, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We've been giving an inheritance because he just decided, I'm going to make that my plan, and I'm going to give that to them. It's not something that we earn. It's something that we're given. Keep going. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. 
to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And then there it is again, to the praise of his glory. The whole shape of this section, like you, you feel and you see, and if you took time to really meditate on each little thing, like the extreme benefits of being a child of God, the extreme blessings and redemption, and like we, we benefit so greatly from our salvation, but that is not God's ultimate aim in our salvation. We receive the benefit, but it is ultimately for the praise of his glory. The shape of your salvation is really good news for you because it's really good for you, but ultimately, it's not even ultimately about you. And that means that this is no ordinary meeting. We just, like, we wandered in here this morning, and, and if you're a Christian in this room, no matter how ordinary you feel, no matter how much your attention's actually been on God, like, especially when we gather like this, we're seeing just a, a collection of people that Ephesians 1 is your story, and it's all to the praise of his glory. So God looks down on this. Angels look down on this. Demons look at this. And they say, how great is the God of the universe to be able to do that with those people? So how are we going to be a church for the glory of God? Well, the first thing we've got to do is just take a step back and say, well, by being a church, we just are. Like, like God has, has made us and saved us for his glory. But where Paul is going to go next, and this is where now we can kind of like actually lean forward and say, okay, Paul, but what do, what do we need to do? What do we need to resolve to do? Because we all know what it's like to live for ourselves and not God. And he's going to give us some answers here in, in verse 15. So, so keep going with me and look at verse 15 now of, of Ephesians chapter 1. This is how we now participate, our role in being for the glory of God. So verse 15. So for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Okay, so, so Paul, after just unpacking their salvation, he's, he's writing to the church at Ephesus, and what he just said, he says, like, I look at, I look at you, and I'm thanking God for you. Like, in other words, he's like, I, I look at your church, and rather than saying, like, oh, Jesus, like, help them, he's saying, like, Jesus, thank you. Like, whatever was happening in that Ephesian church, they must have been doing something right. They must have been, like, successful in the eyes of God. Whatever, whatever they were, Paul is saying, I'm, I'm thankful for that. And I'm not just thankful for that. I'm, I'm thankful to God. Like, only God could have done this. So, so our question then is, what, what is it about them that he was thankful for? Because whatever Paul was thankful for about them, that's going to then tell us how we can glorify God. You following the logic? If the church exists to glorify God and then Paul looks at the church and says, hey, I'm thankful for the way this is going, whatever the way that that thing is going leads us to know how we can glorify God. And so what does it say in verse 15? It says Paul heard about something. He heard something about this church. He heard about their faith and their love. Their faith in the Lord Jesus, and their love toward all the saints. So if you've been around, around church for a while, like those are words that, that you've heard. And faith and love, on one hand, they're like two of the most incredibly profound words that we talk about as Christians. Like the, they're postures of heart that are, that are lifelong pursuits for us. Paul always talks about them in the, in the beginning of his letters. If, if he's encouraged by a church, he says, like, I'm encouraged, I'm thankful for your faith 
in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. So on one hand, they're incredibly profound, but on the other hand, they're so practical. They're so everyday. They're things that we can actually pursue. Because faith, it's essentially like trusting Jesus and the everyday stuff of life over every area of life. And love for all the saints, it's a word to describe what, what is just the quality and the nature of our community and our life together. So Paul says, I, I heard about your faith and love. I, he- I heard about it. And Paul, he's living in a time before, he's not living in the digital age like we are. So he somehow got a report about what this church was doing, how they were living, and their faith and their love, although those are postures of the heart, they had come out in real actions that Paul was able to hear a report about. It was noticeable. Paul heard about it. He says, I I heard how your faith and your love were expressing themselves. And so you know that their city heard about it too. And that's where it gets to us. So if Doxa Church, if we want to be a, a church that is for the glory of God, then we want people in our city to look and say they are for the glory of God. They need to be able to hear and see something about our life together. They need to be able to hear and see our faith and love. And so I just want you to imagine that with me as we talk about faith and love and, and what, that would, what that would look like. What would it look like as we share the gospel in our lives with people for, for our neighbors and our coworkers, our family, our friends, our, our doormates, our classmates, to look in on our community And in the same way that Paul said, I heard about your faith and love and I thanked God that they would do the same. They would say only God could have done this with those people. So let's start with faith, okay? Number one is is faith. And it's a faith that says, isn't God great? Here's what faith is according to verses 16 through 19. Faith is seeing the glory of God and what he's done in a way that transforms you. Faith, it's a posture of your heart and faith, what it does, it sees the glory of what God has done and it leads to a transformed life. So look at verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that is faith, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? So imagine with me, the people around you as you're sharing the gospel and your life, they're getting close enough to your life to see your faith and what is it they see? They see that you are so fixed on something, you're so fixed on Jesus that it's leading to a transformed life. So what does our transformed life look like? Imagine this with me. Well, one, it says you're gonna know the hope to which he has called you. So Paul is praying. He says, with the eyes of your heart, I want you to, to know the hope is there. It's real. It's there even if you don't acknowledge it, but, but to know the hope to which he has called you. What does that look like? What's it look like for a Christian to be so transformed by looking at the glory of God that they just know without a doubt that the promises of the Bible are true? I think I've seen this happen already this year, guys. One of the key ways that you can tell that someone's hope is real to them is when they have a joy about them, a disposition of joy that does not go away when their circumstances change, especially when they change for the worse. There have been people in our church this year that have suffered greatly. They've experienced loss of all different kinds, financial loss, relational loss, 
personal loss, the loss of dreams, the loss of health. Like, like I, I have sat back and been taught so much by God this year by watching people in our church suffer. And the dominant note, the dominant theme, both from people inside our church and outside our church is how, how do they have that joy still? How are they making it through? And I'm not saying how did they smile the whole time. I'm saying through the tears, through the, the crying out to God in pain, they, they had their hope and they had their joy. And you could see it. Like, I heard about it. I wasn't in some of the hospital rooms and then I, I heard about the way the person responded. I've heard of doctors and neighbors that are not believers in Jesus who were just perplexed and asking questions about how, how, it's because by faith, these people knew that even when their circumstances changed, even when they experienced loss, their hope was not lost, and so neither had to be their joy. The next thing about faith is it says, well, we'll know what are the riches of our inheritance. We'll know that. The Bible talks a lot about this, this inheritance that we have as sons and daughters of God, but by the eyes of faith, what can happen to us is we, we can become so transformed in, in believing that that is true, that we are incredibly rich, more rich than we could ever imagine in the next life, that it, it leads us to be incredibly generous in this life. I wonder what some of just the conversations that the people close to you, as you're sharing life with them and they're hearing about this, this forward campaign idea, like the questions that they're asking about, so you are going to, you are going to, sacrificially like change your lifestyle, take money out of your savings, take money out of like, like a money that you're saving for later in life, like an inheritance. And you're going to, going to give it towards this. I think it's crazy. If any of you guys had this conversation with people when they, they hear about like tithing and how we, we do that as Christians, like we, we give an, a, a portion of our, of our income to support the work of the gospel in this church. And then beyond that, we give generously in acts of mercy and good in our city. And it's like, like that is gonna be continually one of the most striking things that are, is different about Christians is what we do with our money. And that is gonna happen more and more among us as we believe more and more that we are incredibly rich in heaven. First Corinthians chapter three says that Jesus, he is the heir of all things and he now reigns over all things and that because of that, because we reign with him, we also have all things. Paul is so audacious as to say, all things are yours. Faith sees that, believes that, is transformed, knows that that's coming, and then you can actually hear and see that faith in action with what we do with our time, talent, and our treasure, especially with our money. The last one that he puts out here, he says, knowing the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us. So the eyes of faith... We, we see just the incredible, powerful working of, of God in us. And this, here's where I think this one intersects is just like in, our, in your, your main role in life, whether that's like in the workplace or if you're a mother at home with children right now, like you, you wake up, the alarm clock goes off and like you go to work for the day, whatever that means for you. People see that and there's something about a Christian that finds a way to actually be like a great employee and work incredibly hard, but not in the same exhausted, chasing a rat race way that the rest of America is doing. We, like, like Paul personified this, like working incredibly hard, but resting incredibly well. Not carrying around the, the same anxieties as if everything depended on our work. Not sacrificing our families, but like, but like working hard. And the question is how? How? Our coworkers or neighbors, they look at us and they say, we're doing the same job. I am way more stressed out and anxious than you. Like, what is the difference? And you say, well, I, I believe through the eyes of faith 
that the same power that rose Jesus from the, from the grave is at work in me. Like I'm, I'm working by a power and a strength that is not my own. That is the type of transformed life that people are gonna look at. And again, the whole point here, Paul says, I'm thankful for your faith, I heard about it. Madison needs to look at us and say, they might not even know the vocabulary of faith, but you are such a different type of person. Like it, it's, it seems almost uh, supernatural the way that you are acting. And we say, glory to God, it's all, it's all from him. This is how God gets glory through our transformed lives. True that. So that's faith. The next one is, is love. So our faith in the Lord Jesus and then our love towards all the saints. This is gonna be verses 20 through, through 23. And here's what love is. Here's how, so if love is, is seeing the glory that leads to transformed life, love, it actually shows off the glory of what God has done through the beauty of our community. Love shows off the glory, the glory of God on display through the church. That's what Paul was talking about in Ephesians 3. And, and look at me, look with me at, at verses 20 through 23. He's basically gonna give us a picture of Jesus as the head of the church, the reigning king of the universe, and then the church as his body, his representative to the world. So verses 20 through 23. I'll, actually, I'll start in 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Paul, he's painting a picture here of Jesus as the, the crucified but then resurrected king of the universe, king of all things. And it says Jesus is like the head, really truly reigning, but his, his body is the church. The fullness of who Jesus is, the fullness of his love is gonna be seen by the world through our community, through our church. Jesus said the same thing when he said to his disciples, like, they're gonna, they're gonna know you're my disciples if they see the way that you love one another and they're gonna glorify me. They're gonna say glory to God by seeing your love for one another. Paul says, I'm thankful for your love for all the saints. So Doxa, for us, like just dream with me for a minute of, of what it would look like for people to be walking into our church and, and they experience the tangible love of God through the messy relationships and the sinner's in this church. They experience the love. 1 Corinthians 13 is, is, a, is a chapter of the Bible that Paul wrote, and it comes in a whole section of, of him actually talking about how the church is to work. And he slides this in there as if to say, he's in this whole thing about love, and he's like, this is it. So 1 Corinthians 13 is not primarily like about like a wedding ceremony, but it's about how we're to be in the church. And so it's gonna come up on the screen, and I just want you to, we're gonna read it, and, and we're gonna specifically apply it to like, Somebody, your neighbor walks into our church and this is what we hope that they will say more and more. 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse four. Love is patient and kind. Doxa is patient and kind. The church by definition is a collection of messed up people from, from different backgrounds, different life stories coming together as one new family. And that is beautiful, but it's also a recipe for conflict and pain. 
there's a great need for patience and kindness. What would it be like if, if our neighbors and people just started walking in here and, and like noticing the dysfunction and then seeing how it's met with patience and kindness? Love does not envy or boast. What in the world would it be like if somebody walked in here and they're like, you know what is so different about Doxa is it's not just filled with envy and boasting. It's not filled with like this competition that just sucks the life out of one another. Like, like people have truly somehow, I don't know how, the grace of God, figured out how to, how to interact with each other and not make everything about one, one-upmanship and cutting and tearing down. Like, like there's no envy and boasting in Doxa. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. What would it be like for somebody to walk into our church and start to see those things? Then he goes on and says, love never ends. And this is important because like our love right now that we, that we experience in the church, what Paul is saying here is it's actually pointing forward to, the, to like the future and love is gonna expand and continue forever. Look at how he explains it. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. He's using a metaphor here to say that right now in this life, our, our experience of life and God and community, it's, it's immature. It's not fully what it's gonna be one day. Like one, one day in heaven, it's gonna, when God makes the new heavens and the new earth, when he unites all things, it's gonna mature into its fullness and you know what is actually gonna be the fullest expression of it? is gonna be love. Love never ends. So the point is, guys, like the love that we're able to cultivate among one another right now is the only lasting thing. The God who has always existed, the Alpha and the Omega, as he calls himself in the Bible, he also identifies himself in, in the book of 1 John as, as being love itself, like love personified. Love is never going to end. It says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest is love. I love this. The Christian life is essentially about realizing more and more the older we get just how much God has loved us all along. Just catching up to what was always true about us. We've already been fully known, but there's coming a day where the love that we share together as a church and the love that we have towards God, it's going to be perfected. We're gonna see him face to face. We'll know him fully. We'll love him fully. Our love will match the love that he's always had for us. And here's the point to bring it all to a head. As people look in at Doxa, if they see our, our love for one another, they're getting a preview for what ultimate reality is gonna be about someday. They're getting a, a preview of heaven. They're getting a picture of God and this glorifies him. That God could take people like us and make us a community that actually says something right about God to the world. And this is what the world has to see. 
I'm sure you've noticed this with some of your friends that, that while we do have like true and good things to say as Christians and there's, there's truths that we believe though that are, that are controversial in our day and age and it's not that they're, they're wrong but it's like we're starting from this point where people aren't even gonna listen to us until they actually meet us and get to know us and what they have to meet and see is love. They have to see that. They, ha- they have to look at our community and see that our community is just as beautiful as the truth that we're talking about. The beauty of our truth matching the beauty of our love and community together. This is what they have to see. This is what would glorify God. So we've seen that, that God, he creates us as a church for his glory. He makes the first move. We just kind of have to sit back and see that. But we can lean in and actually make Doxa be a church that rings out the glory of God in our community as our faith deepens and our love grows. And so this message is just all about us saying right now, resolving together that 10 years from now, long after we've settled into the building, that we will be able to say with integrity that when we said Doxa, we did not mean our glory. Doxa 10 years from now, Doxa 20 years from now has to mean, we have to be able to look back, guys, and say it always meant, it was a struggle, but it always meant God's glory and not our own. I'll close with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Paul, again, he, kinda, he gives us this vision of, of how we can stay on track as we pursue that goal. This is what he says. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. So we all, all of us as the church with unveiled face, he means that the Holy Spirit of God has broken into your life and he's taken the blinders off and you've you've seen Jesus. Even if you've been walking with Jesus for a while and you feel dry right now, like you've seen his glory and he's calling you back to see it again right now. As we behold the glory of the Lord, what does it say is going to happen? We're going to be transformed into that same image by one degree of glory to another. So so listen, put it all together. We will be for the glory of God to the degree that we behold the glory of God. Do you see what I'm saying? The, The more that doxa fixes its eyes on the glory of God, the more we will actually show the glory of God. Seeing leads to showing. And so as we pursue this ambition, as we try to be a church that is for the glory of God, there is nothing more important than for all of us individually and for us together collectively to fix our eyes on the beauty and the glory of Jesus, which good news, that's pretty much what worship music and singing is all about. So let me pray so we can do that. Father, you, you, Paul calls you the father of glory here. And I know this from my experience that, that we live in a time where it is, we are so distracted, we are so dulled to how great you are. God, you have, you've never changed. It's, it's us. And so I pray that, that you would even surprise some of us here in this room today that we, we thought that it was just an, an ordinary morning, but, but you wanted to break in and actually just show us your glory, show us your greatness. God, in, in the, the ordinary uh, way that we've got lyrics on the screen and we see the words. I pray that you'd help us to see the glory in the words, see the greatness of the words as we hear our neighbor next to us singing and we know their story and we know that they're sinful and broken like us, but then we hear that we're, we're singing to this great savior. I pray that, that the, the theme ringing out through all of, all of our, our words would be everything that you have done, nothing that we have done. 
God, we are the least of all the saints, least of all the churches, but you've given us this incredible privilege of being a part of your glory, being for your glory. So as we gaze at you now, Father, fulfill your promise. Change us. Change us in our seats as we sing for your glory and for our joy. Amen.